I get to preach one of my favorite passages. Uh, in fact, I preached a couple, I think two, three years ago, something like that. And I was talking to the Lord, where, are we, where do we go with this? Where do we go with this? And I think this is probably one of my top three favorite Bible stories. So let's just, let's go right into it. 2 Kings 4, 8 through 17. Starts with Elisha. Elisha arrives at a woman's house and he finds her and he asks her what she is longing for. Okay, one day, we have it up there, guys. Okay, here we go. Gosh, I love this story. 2 Kings 4, 8 through 17. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. Isn't that so sweet? said, oh, this sweet preacher, we're going to build him a room. Hey, listen, if you're, if you're watching from Maui, Hawaii right now, and you feel led to build a preacher a room at your place... I will, I will stop by and minister. I'll do a missions trip to Maui, Hawaii right now. So that, that's what's going on, right? So, and, and you need to know, at this time, uh, Jesus had not yet come to earth. The prophet represented God on earth, right? So this was a position that was a representation, the closest and clearest representation. The voice of God himself came through the prophet. It's very, very important to understand. So they build him a, they build him a room. Verse 11. One day Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word to the king or the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Verse 14. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, listen to this. She doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as he stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Verse 17. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Let me, let me start by asking you this. What, what is your dream today? What is, moms, what is the dream that God has placed into your heart. Maybe it was when you were a child. Maybe it was when you were a teenager. Maybe it was just several years ago. Maybe it's as a grandma now and God has placed a dream inside of your heart. Don't just limit it to moms. Men, what, what, what is your dream? What is the dream that God has placed inside of you? When we, when we find out that dream, and there, there was a study done. It was really fascinating. It, it took like children, and it was showing these children who had a dream. And then it followed them like 15 years or something like that. And by the time they had hit 15 years, they had lost all their capacity to dream. And they concluded by the end of this study that life is not something that puts a dream in you. Life is something that pulls a dream out of you. We, we are born to dream. 
We're created to dream. We long to dream. God places dreams in our heart, and it is doubt after doubt after doubt. It is trying and not receiving, and trying and not receiving, and over and over, life begins to steal from us the dream that God has placed within us. What is the dream that God has placed in you? I'll give you three reasons really quick to keep chasing it. Number one, don't let time stop you. What did she say? My husband is an old man and don't get my hopes up. She was allowing time. She was allowing the concept of time to keep her from dreaming the dream that God had given her. What number two is don't let shame stop you. Barrenness was considered humiliation. When you were barren during these times, when you couldn't have a child during these times, it meant that they they thought God was punishing you. They thought you upset God and all of a sudden you couldn't have a child because you were on God's naughty list. So she allowed that shame to keep her from dreaming the dream that God had placed in her. Yet he's asking her through the prophet, what is it that you really, really want? What's the third one? It's don't let doubt stop you. What did she say? Oh my goodness, don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up and then crush me all of a sudden when what I long for and what I desire doesn't even come to fruition. What is your dream and what is trying to steal your dream? Begin to rekindle that dream in your spirit today. God is the fulfiller of dreams. Satan is the destroyer of dreams. Life and the challenges of life and the difficulties we walk through, they try to steal from you the dream that God has placed in you. Let's, let's keep going. 2 Kings 4, 17-20. says, But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Verse 18. One day when her child was older, he, was, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Verse 19. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, and can we just honor moms today? Moms, this is why we love you. This is why you are the most important person on the planet. Because when everything busts loose and dad's in trouble and the kid has a headache, what do we cry out? Carry him to his mother. Find that boy's mom. My head hurts. My head hurts. He's working in the field. Dad said, hey, your your son's having a really bad headache. And he says, carry him to his mother. Somebody find mom to fix it. Verse 20. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. There was a dream that had died in her heart, and now it just died in her arms. She was dreaming. She was longing for it. She was so scared to ask for it at the pain that if it didn't come true, how deeply it would hurt. Yet the, uh, the answer comes and she receives the dream and then she has to hold it in her arms while it died. Maybe you're in here today and you can relate so deeply to this story. It a dream of a great marriage. And it started off the first year, and it was great. And now you have watched it over the course of the last two years slowly die. 
to a place where what you longed for and dreamed for and hoped for, you finally got a little taste of, and then all of a sudden you had to experience it dying in your arms. Maybe it was a business. And maybe in 2019 you were rolling and business was going great. And then 2020 hit and you had to close your doors for six months. And then all of a sudden you had to watch the dream that you had, that you sunk your life into, that you cared about, that you carried, that you longed for, that you prayed for, that you yearned for. You experienced a little bit of it and then you had to watch it die in your arms. Or maybe this story hits really close to home. And maybe you did have a dream of a child. Maybe you did have that child. And now that child is gone. What do we do when the dream that we long for feels dead? What do we do when the thing that we're dreaming of, we're dreaming for our child to grow up and honor Jesus, and we have this beautiful little child, and we're so excited, and they're growing up in church, and they love the Lord, and they're passionate about Jesus, and they're in children's church, and then in high school, they're on fire for God, and they're passionate, and they're worshiping, and then they go away from the home, and then you stop hearing from them as much, and then they stop engaging you as much, and then they don't want to be involved in church as much, and then all of a sudden they come to you and say, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I don't want to be a missionary anymore. I don't even want to follow Jesus anymore. And the dream that you had, you have experienced, slowly begin to die in your arms. You know, Jesus came to earth. He was the dream for us. And our dream died. And what did God do with that dream? Oh, we got to insert some life into this place. To count of three, I want you to scream, he rose. When Jesus came to earth and Jesus died, we're in that very space emotionally, just walking you to that space. If you have this dream, you're excited. The disciples were around. The disciples were cheering. The earthly kingdom was here. Rome was going to be defeated. The Jews were going to rise to the top. Jesus was going to be our earthly ruler. Caesar would be overthrown. And we would all celebrate this victorious life that we we were seeing and the dream arrives miracles happen people are fed great things are going on and then all of a sudden he's betrayed he's arrested he's nailed to a cross and he's placed in a tomb and we're sitting here saying our dream just died but God can make it rise God can make that thing rise again God can bring life back to that thing again God can revive in you what was passionate 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that you've slowly let begin to disappear and you feel like it maybe has died in your arms and you're even intimidated to begin to pursue it. You're in a mix of emotions right now saying to yourself, I don't even know if I want to dream for that again because it hurt so bad the first time. But he rose. That's what we build our faith on. That's what we're in here proclaiming. That he rose. That his name is more powerful 
That his word is more powerful. That it's stronger than our emotion. It's stronger than our challenges. It's stronger than what we go through. So how do we pursue a dream that we think has died in our arms? Let's get going. 2 Kings 4, 21-22. So good. Says she carried him up. Man, I got to get a drink. I am not even through some points of the message. Mm. Cheers, brother. All right, let's go in. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Then shut the door and left him there. Verse 22. She sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can carry to the man, so that I can carry, so I can hurry, excuse me, Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Think about this. She didn't want him. She didn't want to have him. She didn't want to get her hopes up, and she just didn't want to go down that road. But then right after she became pregnant, she carried him. She raised him. She had him. And now she won't let anything but God Stop him. The first thing you have to do, and here's what I hope to do, is revive your passion to not quit on the promise that God has given you. To revive, deepen your soul, that passion. You may have went through a horrible marriage and a disastrous divorce, and you're sitting here thinking today, my dream is to be married and happy and honoring Christ with the covenant of marriage, but I am scared to even long for it because I was so hurt the first time. Don't you dare quit on that dream. Don't quit on that promise that God has given you that one day you will walk in a covenant of marriage and we will celebrate you like we celebrate everybody else of what God can do and what He can rise in your life. You cannot quit on what God has placed in your heart. And I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care how difficult it gets. I don't care how dead it may seem. He has the ability to breathe life back into it. Anytime you have carried something for a long time, you will not let it die very easily. This woman carried this baby. She gave birth, and I want to tell you something, you'll always have a chance to quit. You will always be given multiple opportunities to quit on the promise that God has given you. Why? Because the fulfillment of that promise is a pinnacle of your testimony. And the enemy doesn't want you walking around saying, yeah, I went through this, but look what God breathed life into. Look what God resurrected here. Look what God turned around here. She kept fighting for it. She didn't want it. She didn't want anything to do with it. She was intimidated by it. She has it. And now nothing will stop her from pursuing what God wants to do with him. There was a story on the news. I saw it on YouTube. It was super cool. A a Florida news channel, only in Florida, was covering this, right? And there was this woman who got out of her car. She was pumping gas. And when she got out, she was taking a bag of trash to, you know, those trash bins that are in between the pumps. And when she got to the trash bin, she put it in. Two carjackers ran around and jumped in her car, one in the passenger, one in the driver, and began to drive away. And this woman 
runs over, jumps on the running board of the vehicle, grabs a hold of the luggage rack, goes inside that passenger window, and she starts rearranging some things. She, and then all of a sudden, you see the vehicle stop, you see the, the front dip, and all of a sudden, the passenger door flies open, and he comes running, stumbling out, right? And she gets up, she goes around the back of the car, she ain't done yet, she's going in for the driver. She gets over to that driver door, she rips that door open, and I mean, she's in the middle of it. You see here, earrings, purses, everything flying out, and all of a sudden, this dude comes flying out, he takes off running, she hops in the car, the car starts rolling, puts it in park, and then gets back out, and she's throwing her hands up like, come on, I'm not finished with you yet. I got more for you. And you you watch that video and you think, wow, she must have really loved that car. And then the news story, it tells you, no, her children were in the back seat. (laughs) You don't go messing with mama's babies, right? There is nothing mama won't do if you go messing with babies. There is this mama spirit that lives to protect her babies. And you, when you have raised that thing and you have carried that thing, and you've gone through the pain of giving birth to that baby, and then you have left work early because that baby's not feeling good, and you have stayed up all night long holding that baby's hair while it's thrown up in the toilet because it's not feeling well, and you have done everything to carry it, you are not going to let anything take that baby away from you. Mamas, am I lying in this place today? Where is the spirit of a mom? You don't let anything take your baby. Listen to me. You need to pursue the promise that God gave you with that same passion. Men, you need to hear that. Because you need to pursue the promise that God gave you with that same exact passion. That you will have to kill me to stop me from rescuing the promises that God gave me. And I will push and I will go and there is no length that I won't travel to see fulfillment come. I love her passion to not quit. She loaded up took off on a horse, and went to the man of God. Let's keep going. 2 Kings 4, 23-26. says, Why go today? He asked. It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, circle this, it will be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, Hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Listen to her response. Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. She is breathing life back into her promise. The same promise that died in her arms is the promise that she is declaring it's going to be all right. I'm going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. And we're going to make it through. No matter what happens, I can tell you this. Everything is going to be all right. You've got to be resolute in the fact that you're not going to give up on your promise. The second thing you have to do is speak life into that thing. Speak hope into that thing. Revive that thing. Think about this. You were probably praying for it 10 years from now, and after five years, you stopped praying for it as much. After seven years, you got a little worn out because you weren't seeing it. Now it's 10 years in, and you're starting to say to yourself, man, I I just have quit praying for that altogether. 
I remember when the number one thing on my prayer list was praying for that healing for my child or praying for God to open up that door or praying for God to do this. And then year after year after year, I slowly began to drift. What did she do? She was speaking life into that thing. She was speaking life into her kid that was gone. You speak life into your children that are gone. You speak life into your marriage that's struggling. You speak hope. You speak truth. You speak these things into it, and the things you speak into it will come out in the fulfillment of it. I love this story. I read it a long time ago uh, of a kid with autism, and he was nonverbal, had some major sensory issues, didn't, didn't communicate at all, and his parents were believing for healing. So they used to have these declarations that they would write Bible verses, and then they would write healing praises over him, and they would, they would speak these verses over him day after day after day, and he would just sit there, zero response, zero interaction, and then the mom tells the story of one day she heard in his bedroom these no, the, this person talking, and she thought, what on earth is happening? So she rushed up to his room really quickly to see what was going on. And when she opened the door, it was him. And he was sitting there and he was reciting word for word years worth of Bible verses that she had been speaking over him. Years. I I mean, she said it was like he was recording them in his mind and just replaying them with his mouth. You begin sowing seed into your promise. You begin speaking life into your promise. You begin speaking what God is speaking to you about what he has promised you. And I promise you, you will see that thing come to life again. Now, I love where we're at in the story. Because you get to a place where you refuse to give up And you refuse to believe or speak anything but what God has spoken to you and what God has promised to you. And now there's a transition. She goes from everything that she can do to purely trusting in the Lord. We reach this space with promises. We get to this place where you say, yeah, Pastor, I've been doing that. I have have never given up. I refuse to quit on my children that have ran away. I I refuse to quit on the promise that God has given me. And I've been speaking life, and I've been speaking life, and I've been speaking hope, and I've been praying and believing God to revive. Now, what do I do at this point? At this point, here it is, 2 Kings 4, 27-30. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him, and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, by the way, recognize this in verse 28. The first two people that asked her were just random people, and she said, everything's fine, everything's okay. But when she got in the presence of the Lord, she bared her heart. You don't need to be going and telling all your business to everybody all the time. You don't need to be running around telling all your friends, posting on social media, posting on Facebook, everything else, all the things that aren't going right or not you're not seeing or it's not happening or whatever. You recognize she reserved the depths of her heart and the things she needed resolved for a conversation with the Lord. So she goes in verse 28. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Verse 29. Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. Verse 30. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives, 
and you yourself live. You know what she just said? If you want to keep breathing, you ain't getting away from me. You'll, oh, as surely as the Lord is good, and as surely as there's breath in your lungs, preacher, you're coming with me. And I'm not going anywhere unless you're there with me. As surely as the Lord lives and as surely as you yourself live, I won't go unless you go with me. <laughs> what did he do? What any good prophet would. So Elisha returned with her. He said, you got it. I'm headed your way. You see what she did? She refused to go without the Lord. She refused to step into any situation where she may not know the outcome. She has the promise. She's seen what's happened. She's gone to the man of God and she says, listen, at the end of the day, I am not walking back into that room without God's presence with me. When you have done everything that you can do, when you have fought tooth and nail and you haven't quit and you've kept praying and you've kept speaking life, at the end of the day, you have to get to a place where you just say, as long as the Lord is with me, I'll walk through that door. And I may not know what's going to happen. I may not know what awaits me. And I, wait, I may not know how this thing plays out. But I know I'm not going through without him. I told you I was, I was fishing this past week. Um, in Louisiana. Love going. Uh, by the way, I think I'm, oh, she's not in here. Okay, I'm going again soon. Uh, we, we've got it planned. I just got to find out the right time to work it out. You know what I mean? After a really good Mother's Day celebration, maybe that would be the, the right time. I just, I love to go fishing out there. I got a bunch of friends out there. And uh, one morning, Saturday morning, we decided we were going to go saltwater trout fishing. And they're a little deeper uh, of a fish, so you have to run a little further to get to it. So um, that night, they said, hey, we're going to leave at 5 o'clock in the morning. It'll be pitch black, but don't worry, Mr. Stanley was talking. Mr. Stanley said, I, I can, I've, been, I've been raised on these waters. I can run these waters at night. I know I'm like the back of my hand. I can get us to where we're going with my eyes closed. And so, okay, great. Uh, 4.30 in the morning, we're up. 5 o'clock, we're on the boat, and we're beginning to take off. And I started to recognize something as they were in front of us. They had one little pole on their, on their boat, and they there was this little bitty light, and it was pitch black. You could not see anything. And I'm sitting on the very front of the boat, right? I'm the first one to go if this thing catches anything. And you need to understand, these are really shallow waters. There are narrow bayous. These are, there are telephone poles and old docks and everything in this water. This is not just wide open water, and it is pitch black black and all of a sudden Mr. Stanley hits it and that boat takes off and we're following it and all we can see is this light and I am sitting there praying Lord Jesus please protect me please give us wisdom I don't know what is going to happen all I know is I want to live today right we almost pulled a 12 foot alligator out of the water and I wasn't near as scared as I was running in the middle anyone ran at night it is scary I mean there is you can't see anything and then all of a sudden we're following this boat and we see it take these big turn and so our boat we're just following the light goes around and about about when we began to get that turn in there was this old dock 
and it was part of a fish camp that was out there. Recent storm had taken that dock and blown it into the center of this bayou. And there were these big beams coming up where the dock used to be. And I mean, we were, I, I saw the thing after we were rounding it. And I was thinking to myself, I would have split this boat down the middle on that thing, right? Like we would have hit it. We would have split it. I'd have been in two. And you'd be seeing this today. Hey, <laughs> like, I was like, that was what would have happened if I was running this thing. But thank God, we couldn't see where we were going, but we were following the right person. There are moments you get to when you are believing God for something. And you have that promise in your soul. And you are praying and you are speaking life over it. And you are believing God to move in the middle of it. That you get to a point where there is nothing else that you can do. You just make sure you're following the right person. You make sure you are walking behind the one who gave you the promise, the one who has made the promise, the one who fulfills the promises. You just make sure you are standing behind him and following him in. This is where you are tempted to take over on your own. This is where you are tempted by your own might, own power, own strength. I will fix my kid then. I will help. And we know we can't. I will take over and I will be in control. And that, that feeling of losing control either pushes us into a place of rebellion and anger and frustration or a deeper, greater submission on just following the right person. Trusting the right person. Watch how this thing ends. Oh, good. I'm good on time. 2 Kings 4, 33-36. says, when Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. Verse 33. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. He went in alone. Could you imagine, mamas, in this place? Your dream has died in your arms, and you've placed him in a room, and you've closed the door. And the only one who can do anything about it goes through the door. And you watch that door close. I know there are, there are mamas in here today. And your babies are behind doors that you can't go into. I mean, we're in Huntsville, Texas. I've been inside there and I've hugged your baby's neck for you. And you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, I wish I could go through those doors. There is one who goes through those doors. And even if those doors close on us, there is one who can enter into the doors and do things that we can't do. We've got to trust the one who can walk through any door. We've got to trust the one who can walk through any door. There are doors I cannot walk through. There are doors I cannot go through. But there is one who has the key to every door. So he walks in there and he prays. He walks in alone. She's waiting outside. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother. Call the child's mother, he said. And she came in, and Elisha said, here Take your son. When my boy uh, Zadok was born, he, um, he was a big baby, 
and he had, we had some complications in birth where uh, right before he was born, there was, there was a time where he was not breathing, and it got really, really serious. You know it gets serious when all of a sudden, uh, like, it goes from two nurses to, like, 17, and they're all standing on top of each other, and they're, like, ready to, to pounce on whatever needs to be. I'm so thankful for nurses. I was like, praise God more and more and more, and come on and come on. And then all of a sudden, uh, the baby, he, Zadok, he is born. It was really a complicated deal, and he was not moving. He was bright purple, and they laid him on there, and then all of them, like, threw towels on top of him, and they just started shaking him, trying to wake him up, and I started freaking out. I was like, what is going on? Tell me what is happening. What, what is going on with my boy right now? And then all of a sudden, I, I heard the cry, and I was like, okay, praise God. He's still purple, though. And then that night, they came, and, and they came in, and they said, hey, um, he is having trouble breathing, so we're going to take him to the NICU. And I, I'd never had a baby in the NICU before, so that freaked me out, right? He's just been born. He's having trouble breathing. I saw him. It was essentially lifeless on top of her, and they shook him and woke him up. And now he's having trouble breathing. I am freaking out. So we take him around. We get him to the NICU, and they said, hey, um, you need to know something. It, because of COVID, we had the baby during COVID, and they said, uh, because of COVID, we only allow one parent into the NICU. And so, obviously, Anna's going to be the one that goes. So she had to, you know, get all scrubbed in and cleaned up and put this mask and everything on and go in there. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I was standing outside of the door, and when she went in, they wheeled her in. That NICU door shut, and here I am standing behind a a door I can't get to, just wondering what's going on. And I will tell you something, I was mad. I was frustrated. I was, I was telling myself how ridiculous this is, how crazy this is, that I can't even go in there, that we only allowed one person in there. I was so frustrated. And the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, Luke, are you going to stand outside of this door? And are you going to be mad? Or are you going to stand outside of this door and pray that I go in? And so I said, okay. I sat down in this cold nasty chair at like 2 a.m. sitting outside just watching the door and I was praying and I was saying Lord I can't go in there but you can I don't know what's happening back there but you do and I am trusting you to move and I'm trusting you to work that is where we land with this it's where we land with the promise. There are places you cannot go with your promise. There are only places that God can enter. And there are only things that God can do. Yet I love Psalm 100 verse 5. This is coming from David who also lost a baby at an early age weeks ago. I preached about that. He says, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. You have a promise. And you are not going to quit on that promise. And you're going to speak life into that promise. And you are only going to pursue God's presence in the middle of that promise. And you're going to come to a door. And that door is going to close. And you know your promise is behind that door. Here is your only choice to trust that God is good. To trust that his faithfulness endures forever. And that promise may not play out the way that you always envisioned it. But I can promise you this. The God who is good, the God who is faithful, and the God who endures forever has a new promise for you that he will fulfill. Because this is what he does.